Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. Each year as a church, we immerse ourselves in the story of Jesus. And for the first few months, we do nothing but talk about Jesus and hear the story of our Lord and Savior. You see, as disciples, we are shaped by the Jesus story. We are formed by the Jesus story. And we refuse to be a church that talks about things that have nothing to do with the Jesus story. This year, we're going to hear that story as told by John the Apostle. John's gospel is amazing. I know you're standing for a little bit, but that's all right. If I'm standing, you can stand. I want the folks at home to go ahead and stand with us. Can't see you, but you got this. John's gospel is amazing in its simplicity and its depth. It's perhaps the most easily understood gospel. And so, so we usually like to tell people who are new to Christ, go ahead and read John's gospel first because you'll understand it. And, and, and the truth is, it's often, though, the most theologically deep and nuanced of the Gospels. You see, there are four Gospels in your Bible, and some people have said, why four? Um, because each one provides a different view so that together they give us the full image of Jesus. Some people summarize them by pointing out that in Matthew we see the teaching of Jesus And in Mark, we see the ministry of Jesus. And in Luke, we see the example of Jesus. But in John, we see the person of Jesus. Know this, John has a purpose when he writes this story. And this is a year of purpose for us. So we're going to spend a little bit of time together. And I want to read to you from John chapter 20. I know I have a friend who reads the end of every book before she reads the book. And that blows my mind, but we're going to do it today. I want to to let you know how John ends this gospel, because it's going to tell you what his purpose is. Uh, It's our tradition that you would stand during the reading. Here you are standing already. Beat me to it. Thank you. But here we are. The Bible says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless us today as we study your word. Help us not just to understand it, but help us to stand under it. God, help us not just to read it, but let it read us. Let it seep into us and let it split and divide between the very marrow and and, and the bone, between the ligament and the joint, and get into us so that you can shape us and form us by your word. God, we thank you for the word of God. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
I notice when I look at verses uh, 30 and 31 of the 20th chapter that there's, there's several things, that these themes that show up, that, that take place there. Okay, that I think of um, when he says I, there's, there's plenty that Jesus has done that we couldn't even write down. If we tried to write it down, we couldn't even fit it all. There's, there's all kinds of signs that have been performed. Okay, there are signs. There's evidence. Okay, the first thing I notice in John's purpose is that he says there is evidence regarding Jesus. He says there's many signs. As a matter of fact, John is going to organize his gospel around seven major signs. Okay, and we'll, we'll get to see these as we go through the gospel to show us that there is evidence of Jesus' true identity of God as, as God in flesh. And then he says, so that you may believe. And as a matter of fact, that's the title of our series, So That You May Believe. Okay, so that you may believe. Belief is the second theme in John's gospel. These signs are written down so that you'll believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John is preaching the gospel so that by believing, you may have life. By believing, you may have life. Life is the third theme I see. So if you're keeping score, evidence, belief, life. Okay, that's, what, that's what John is up to throughout this gospel. And we're going to see it show up again and again. Evidence, belief, life. Okay, and, and, and believing in Jesus' name is believing in, in what sums up all that he is. It's not a magic word. Okay, it's not just that, you know, that old whatever I ask for in Jesus' name, I'm going to get it. Like, it's not, it's not, okay, as long as I say in Jesus' name, amen, God can't say no. Like, it's not a magic word like that. Believing in the name of Jesus, believing in the person of Jesus, the whole identity of Jesus, wrapped up everything that Jesus is. And as a matter of fact, John is going to pair each of the seven signs as evidences with seven statements, seven statements of Jesus' identity where he's going to start by defining himself by saying, I am. Okay, those are important words in your Bible. Okay, because what John is communicating to you about Jesus is that he is who he says he is. He is God in flesh. So these three themes are going to be at the forefront of our study as we work through our gospel together uh, in this sermon series and in the accompanying adult Bible class. Because I hope you see the evidence. I hope you believe in Jesus and I hope you find eternal life. Today, let's start in John chapter 1 and let's see how these things show up. From John chapter 1, I'm going to read through the first four verses right now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Okay, John begins in the beginning, which is a good place to start. He's echoing Genesis 1. If, 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 when I say the words in the beginning, if I said, what book starts famously with the words in the beginning? I think most of you would probably say Genesis. And you'd be right. And John knows that. And so he is channeling. This is, this is in some ways, this is the remix. 
All right, if you, if you talk about remix that started in Jamaica, they would double a track. They would use, they would use it to double the track, right? And, and they called it dubbing because... In Jamaica, they say things a little differently. Um, and so they would say they dubbed the track. And so you double the track so that things started sounding a little bit different. And then they would bring out and emphasize certain parts of the track. Maybe the drum beat a little bit more. Maybe you get that bass line a little bit louder. Maybe you'd put something a little bit funky on those vocals so that it sounds a little different. And, and, and you're, you're creating what's called a remix. That's the birth of the remix coming out of Kingston, Jamaica. So that, so that you could make the song something maybe more people would dance to. Maybe more people would tap their foot to uh, just a different feel on this. And John is remixing Genesis 1, which is the story of creation. And he starts in and he says, in the beginning, but where we expect to hear God, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He says, in the beginning, and the Greek language makes this more clear, the word The Word was with God and the Word was God. He starts off with the Word. Where we think we're going to hear God in his remix, John gives us Word. Now this is amazing because Jewish scholars, when they were writing this thing called the Targum, which are, which are um, kind of like commentaries on the, the Hebrew text of Scripture. And so they would be writing these. And sometimes, you know, as you know, uh, good devout Jews would not say the word of God's name. They would not say Yahweh. Okay, and so they would replace it. And sometimes they would replace it with Adonai, which means Lord. And other times they would, they would simply skip it altogether and just not say anything. But there was a group of folks in the Targums who would write and they used this word, Mimrah. Now, Mimra is a Hebrew word that literally means the word. So that you didn't say the word, you weren't supposed to, God's name. You would just say, in the beginning, the word. Okay, so it was a way of referring to God. Now, Greek philosophers used the word... A little differently. They had this Greek word called logos or logos, depending on who taught you Greek. Greg, how do you say it? Logos. See, I learned from Harvey Floyd that it's logos. I'm just saying. It can go either way. We'll take a vote among the rest of us soon. Uh, Greg votes count twice because he teaches Greek sometimes. So, like, you know, what are you going to do? But anyway, logos is this Greek word that literally means word. All right, it's the word. And in Greek philosophy, though, the term, the principle logos referred to the, the ordering structure, like the, the, the intelligence that the universe has to make things reasonable. Just, you know, the world, the universe is a really complex place, the only, the, but there seem to be some rules to it. There seems to be rules to the way humans interact. There seems to be rules to the way things just work. There seems to just be this structure to it that makes it coherent rather than chaotic all the time. And in that coherence, the thing that makes it stick together, the thing that makes it work, they called that logos, the word. The word is kind of the intelligence, the the guiding intelligent principle of the universe, all right? John then uses the word, in the beginning was the word. And here's the deal, 
Jews and Gentiles alike would say, okay, we'll go on. Because they're using this term, they're hearing what he's saying, but John is doing this really incredible thing. He's incorporating both of these thoughts. He says, I'm going to let, now, now here's the deal. I'm going to tell you what he's doing real early. I'm letting the cat out of the bag. I'm going to relieve you of your suspense. If you look at John 1.14, he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. So, The Logos, the Word of God, is not a thing, it's a person. Namely, it's... Come on, y'all, this is church. (laughs) And if I said, look, if I said, what's a woodland creature with a furry animal, like furry, with big furry tail, you'd be like, normally I'm saying squirrel, but it's church, so Jesus. Uh, Yeah, and you're probably right, so let's try again. Um, so the word uh, became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. So that for John, the word of God is not a thing. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. There we go. The person is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. Capital W, the word of God. All right. So when we talk about the word, John says in the beginning was the word. And he means Jesus. The Word was with God in the beginning. Now that's important. The Word was with God in the beginning. There was never a time without the Word. All right? The Word is with God. Now Matthew, when he begins his gospel, begins a genealogy about Jesus. And if you remember, this is for my this is next level Bible scholars. Please don't answer Jesus. For this one, where does Matthew begin his genealogy? He traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to a certain person. Who does he choose? Abraham. Very good. Abraham is where Matthew goes back to with his genealogy. He, lo- he looks and he says, I want to tell you the story of Jesus. I want to go back to Abraham and then climb forward. It, now, Luke, Luke is going to go back even further. If you read Luke's genealogy, he doesn't stop at Abraham. He goes back all the way to Adam, which is about as far back as you can go, it seems. Unless you ask John. Because John starts off and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in the beginning. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't go to Adam and stop. He goes back to God and says, that's where we start. That this is who Jesus is. The Word was with God, and then he goes a little bit further, and the Word was God. The Word was God. Jesus is God. This is why, by the way, your, your, your Bible capitalizes the word, word in this section, if you look carefully. Whatever God does, we see the Word do. Hence what he goes to in verses 2 and 3. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Just leave verse 3 up there. Through him all things were made. This is the role of the Word in creation. I told you this is a remix on Genesis 1. So here we get creation brought in, and all of a sudden, everything that's been made was made through the Word, Jesus. But if I read Genesis 1, 
I don't see Jesus. Where is he? If everything was made, was made through him, where, where was he? Oh, he's there. He's there. And I'm not, even, I'm not even trying to appeal to 25 and 26 where we say we're going we're gonna to make humankind in our own image, our. Although I think you could do that. I'll allow it. I'm preaching now. The sleeves are rolled up. <clears throat> where was he? Here's, here's what you got. If, in 14, 14 times in Genesis 1, God speaks. Every time life jumps out of God's mouth. Whether it's because God is saying, let there be light. Let there be birds. Let there be fish. Let the, let the, the, the land separate from the... Every time God speaks, creation happens. Or God is telling his creation that I want you to be fruitful and multiply and I want you to fill the whole earth. Life is the result of when God speaks. When God speaks, creation multiplies. But here's the deal. In order to speak, I need a couple of things. First, I need some breath. If I, if I want you to hear me, if I'm going to speak, I need breath. Because that's how we're going to project this sound, right? I need breath. Would it surprise you if I told you that the same word for breath in your Bible is the same word for spirit? Stay with me. Because the next thing you need if you're going to speak is I can have breath, but what I need is I need words. I need a, I need a thought, an idea that I can express that's communicable. I need the words to come out. And without, without breath, the words don't, don't come out. But without words, the breath is empty. And so God speaks and creation happens. That everything that is created is created through God's voice, through God calling it into existence. God's word is present. And John looks at this and he says, well, I can tell you where the word is in creation. There's nothing that's been made that wasn't made through him. And so this creation has been this Trinitarian act all along where spirit and son and father breathe and speak this world into existence. And he says, here's the word. And then in verse 4, he says, in him was life. In him was life. Now there are, there are three words for life in your New Testament. Okay, three Greek words for life. The first Greek word for life is, uh, I, I, now I'm going to say it the way Greg would say it in Greek class, because I want to I be respectful. Bios, which is bios, is what you would see, B-I-O-S. Okay, we get our word biology from this word. Okay, bios is, is this word that literally means physically alive. Okay, if something is physically living, that's where we get that word and we use that word. The second word that's used for life is the word suke, or we hear it psyche, and we actually get our word psychology from it. Okay, because the psyche had to do with your mind or your inner self. Okay, that part of us that we refer to as the self. And, and, and understand, the, the Greeks were pretty sharp. They were already making this distinction between brain and mind. My brain may be the thing that's physically, bios, biologically doing the thinking, but my mind is myself. 
Okay, that, 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 that they're working on that. And so when we say suke as in life, we mean like you might say it's my, it's my, it's my spiritual life. And then there's a third word uh, that they use to describe life, and it's the word zoe. Z-O-E. Zoe. And, and interestingly, we get zoological or zoo. Okay, from the word zoe. But, and, and, and that's because it can mean kind of like a type of life. But in particular, when we talk about zoe in this sense, it's deeper than simple classification. In your Bible, this word refers to the quality and type of life you continually have. And so if, 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 if bios was being physically alive... And suke or psyche is being mentally or spiritually alive. Zoe is being really alive. You know, the way like Braveheart said it. Like, all men will live, but will you actually live? Like, you know, like, like it's, it's like that actual being alive. And it's this last term that John uses to describe Jesus. Jesus is the life, Zoe. Jesus is real life, substantive life, full life, abundant life. Don't get ahead of yourself, preacher. He says, and this life, in verse 4, was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, verse 5 is one of the more complex verses in Greek because there's an odd construction there that can change the meaning of the verse, and it seems pretty substantial. How many of you in your Bibles have, in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it? How many of you have that? Great. If you're looking at the screen and you say, well, that's the one I'm using. Yep, you got it too. You can raise your hand. <laughs> All right. How many of you have the darkness uh, did not comprehend it? Did not understand it? Mm-hmm. Some of y'all. Did, did anyone have the <laughs> did not apprehend it? Because that's there too. All right. So, so which one is it? Because here's the deal. Here's the good news. The darkness didn't comprehend Jesus and the darkness didn't overcome Jesus. Both are true. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, let's me off the hook. <clears throat> but in reality, what's going on is actually not as different as it sounds. You see, let me, let, me, let me give you an example. Consider, I don't know, hypothetical here. You've gone on your 25th wedding anniversary trip. <laughs> Kelly and I, are, we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Uh, praise God. I am starting to learn a little bit about being married. Uh, I, love, I love Kelly. Here's the deal. Um, my wife, if you talk to both of us, you'll find out I'm pretty book smart. But like if you talk about wisdom and actual life skill intelligence and how to stay alive, <laughs> there is no contest here. Between Kelly and I. And I want to be clear, this, this, uh, I, I was thinking, this thought hit me on my 25th anniversary, so just, you're getting it today. Um, it was January 3rd. Uh, this thought hit me that 
all evidence points to the fact that my wife is smarter, more intelligent, and wiser than me. The best argument I have against that is that she married me. That's a low moment. Yeah, thank you, Kyle. That's a, that's a low moment when you think to yourself, hold on, I'm the best argument that I have against my wife being the smartest person on earth. Like, so so, so it's, it's been okay. It was an existential crisis for a day or two, but I've made it through. I'm thankful. God provides for the man of God. <laughs> okay, but consider you're in a dark room for a very long time. Say you're sleeping in this hotel room exceptionally comfortably. Very deep sleep in a very dark room and then suddenly someone you love and who says they love you throws open the curtains <laughs> and sunlight comes pouring in brilliant dazzling sunlight bursts in and it hits your eyes and it blinds you and I can tell you in that moment, I neither comprehended what was going on, nor could I overcome what was going on. <laughs> the light's powerful. Do you see how it works? They're maybe not as different as you think when we hear it. But here is the light that has come into the world, and it's powerful. Now, verses 6 through 8 will tell you about John, a different John. John the Apostle wrote the book, John the Baptist is mentioned in the book. Those are not the same person. Okay? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to, to witness, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. There are things to witness too. There's evidence. And John is proclaiming it so that you will believe. Evidence. Belief. Life. Because the light is the life, right? Okay. So you're starting to see how these all fit together. Uh, there's a lot more to say about John than, could, uh, than, than I can say today because of time. And, and I'll simply say John understood the first two rules of theology. They are very important. First rule, there is a God. Second, I am not God. Okay, you get those two starting points right and you're going to do some pretty good work. You mess up one of those starting points. It's real shaky from then on. Jesus gives us light, believing in the light. Get, get this, look what happens in verse 9. The true light that gives, life to everyone, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So Jesus gives us light. And believing in the light gives us the right to become the children of God. There is evidence, there is belief, and there is life. He came to creation... And creation responded. Okay, so he came to that which was his own. Creation. He came to that which was a creation responded. He came to the water and the water held him up. He came to the rocks and they wanted to sing out. He came to the fish and they drew near. 
He came to the dead and they came back to life. But people, living people who have wills, he came to them and they mostly shrugged their shoulders and didn't respond. They went, meh. But to those who did believe, Jesus gives them rebirth. Gives them the right to become children of God by God's will. They are reborn. They are born again. Jesus gives the gift of new birth. Jesus shows up to the creation he made and he remakes it. It's almost like John is saying that Jesus was not simply present at the original creation, but that Jesus is actively recreating everything. Now, I heard one, but the rest of you just missed your shout. Amen. That's why I've been, I, thank you. All right. John is, he didn't bring up Jesus's, he's not remixing the creation to simply say Jesus was there at creation. He's remixing it to let you know Jesus is actively recreating everything. This is the gospel that John is trying to preach. You see, this is even better news than we realized. So that when the Son of God, when the Word dwells among us, when the Word becomes flesh and sets His tent up among us, that's the, that's the, the real word, tabernacled. Okay, and I think, and, 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 and you know, I'm just saying, John knows what it's like to lay next to Jesus in a tent. To look over and think to yourself, who in the world is this guy? And to know, I'm, I think I'm looking at God. And so if anyone can tell you the word put his dwelling place up among us and we see his glory and truth... This is the guy. And so he's talking about the incarnation here that Jesus has, has, has set up his tent among us. He has dwelled among us and revealed to us God's glory. And John testified concerning him. He cried out, this is the one I spoke about, that he who, after, he who comes after me has asked me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received, and this is awesome. This is awesome. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The grace that was already given is the law of Moses, where God gave us what we didn't deserve, self-revelation so that we would know who our holy God is so that we can be like that holy God so that we can see what life is made for so that we can see the purpose we have God gave us in his grace God gave us the law but now in Christ we are given grace to replace the grace we were already given Grace in place of grace. Grace on top of grace. Extra abundant grace. And the grace we're given now is the truth that came through Jesus Christ. 
You see, the law given in grace is replaced by the word that brings grace and truth. The law which we could not keep is replaced by the word which keeps us. Boy, we got close. The law we could not keep was replaced by the word which keeps us. There it is. And that grace and truth and glory is on full display as we witness this new creation. Because I'll tell you this. The old gods are dying. The old gods are dying. You know that the gods of this age, you know these gods. They're the ones we try to put our hope in. Our individualism has failed us. We went searching for ourselves and came up all alone. Our enlightenment has failed us. We thought that with our own minds we could take apart and rebuild the universe and the world more perfectly and more capably and we've learned so much. But it never really delivered on the promises it made. And it turns out that all of our great learning still leads to wars and division. Our materialism and our consumerism has failed us. We've made more and bought more and consumed more and somehow we still all feel unsatisfied. Our relativism has failed us. We threw off the yoke of exclusive truth and in the process we lost our own purpose. And our governments have failed us. We look to them to provide the way out and the way forward, but there has never been a savior on Capitol Hill. And with no other hopes left to us, we watch, part in fear and part in awe, as our God speaks in power, let there be light. But the light is blinding for those of us in the darkness. At least at first it is. And then as our eyes adjust, we see more clearly, and the truth begins to set us free. We are overwhelmed as he speaks in stark grace. I love you. I will always love you. I am yours and you are mine. And he is full of grace and truth. And the truth of grace is so shocking that it's hard to believe that God is for us, not against us. That God loves us more than we could imagine and more than we can undo. That God chooses, to, uh, chooses us enough to live with us, to die for us, to give us victory over death and resurrection. Kenny, y'all go ahead and come on up. In the beginning was the Word. In the middle is the Word. In the end will be the Word.
And the God of creation is making all things new. Even me. Even you. Even us. And he has been this whole time. Since way back in the beginning. It's a good place to start. We sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.